0: The latest episode of Public Power Now. I'm Paul Schimpoli, News Director at APPA. Our guest today is Jason Frisbee, General Manager and CEO of Platte River Power Authority. Jason, thanks for joining us today.
1: Pleasure to be here, Paul.
0: Great. So, um, Jason, just to get our uh, conversation started, could you provide an overview of Platte River Power Authority for listeners who may not be familiar with Platte River?
1: Sure. Platte River Power Authority is, well, next year we'll be celebrating our 50th year but we are a joint action agency public power provider for four owner municipalities in northern the Northern Front Range of Colorado. So Fort Collins, Loveland, Longmont, Nestus Park, all got together in 1973 and formed Platte River Power Authority to meet their wholesale needs, power needs. Back then um, the organization was formed because all four communities got their power entirely from the Bureau of Reclamation in the form of hydropower. And the government at that point in time said, hey, there's there's not gonna be any more generation available from these projects. And if you expect your cities to grow, you might wanna figure out how you're gonna manage that going forward. And so those those federal hydropower contracts were assigned to Platte River and the organization started to operate in 1973. Back then our peak load was about 70 megawatt hours. And as we sit here today, our annual peak is over 700 megawatt hours. We've got about, between all four cities, about 160,000 meters. Fort Collins is the largest of the four cities. Essis Park is the smallest. It's governed by a board of directors of eight, two from each city, the mayor and the utility director. And this year, we project to deliver about 5 million megawatt hours, 3.2 to our owner communities, and the one balance of the 1.8 is sold into the surplus market to subsidize their rates.
0: In preparing for um, this interview, uh, one of the things that caught my eye was the fact that you started your career as a college intern in 1982. And it's actually interesting because I noticed a trend in terms of talking to CEOs and general managers of various public power utilities that um, a lot of uh, folks start at, at, at an intern level or entry level and then wind up being the, the head of the utility. Um, so, so in that context, could you talk about your career path at Platte River? Sure, I'd
1: be happy to. You know, back in 1982, right, I was, you know, just graduated from high school and um, actually knew a, a couple of friends of mine had internships at Platte River. They're a year older than me. And they said, hey, it's a great company. You ought to come over here. Um, so I came down and interviewed and, you know, it gave me an opportunity, you know, to be a full time college student, but also, um, you know, intern at Platte River and, and be able to, frankly, afford my tuition. When I graduated, um, they offered me a full-time job up at the, the power plant, the Wright Energy Station, and I remember vividly thinking, yeah, I'll do that for a while. I, you know, I don't, I don't have any other job offers, and I like the company, and I kind of worked my way up on the generation side. Uh, I was very fortunate that I had some um, really good mentors along the way that saw I think things in me that I probably didn't see in myself at that age, and uh, ultimately, after about eight years, I became the maintenance manager at the Wright Energy Station, um, and I thought that was it. You know that this is it. I've made it. I remember going home and telling my wife, "I think we can afford to buy a house now." And you know, our, our kids were you know in junior high by that point in time, and uh, really, as I as I started to participate at a leadership level in the organization really gained a better appreciation for really the purpose of public power and 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 what our mission really was. And that resonated with me and fortunately was able to become the plant manager back in the, the late 90s. And at that point in time, our CEO um, was starting to think about, you know, contingency plans and transitioning staffing and And we did not. We weren't. We were growing very rapidly as an organization, and thought that we needed to, you know, reorganize and and have a COO that was in charge of all operations, generation. We have a lot of water assets, fuel fuel assets, things like that. And I remember being part of an interview team while we looked for a COO. And after a year, he called me in his office and said, "I can't find anybody else that I trust to do the job more than you." So. Um, I took on that assignment and, and was the proud CEO of Platte River um, for almost a decade. And back uh, about almost six years ago to the day, uh, became the the sixth CEO of Platte River. It's it's been. Uh, I would say I'm in a phase of my career where I'm really I'm really proud of what we've accomplished as an organization. We have the lowest rates in the state of Colorado. By quite a wide margin we have uh and i know we'll get into this but we we're trying to kind of reimagine and transition our portfolio and decarbonize and, and deliver energy in a completely different way and it, it's a very challenging time to be in the business and and we're growing in areas of the business you know we're adding a lot of it and ot folks a, a lot of uh, data analytics folks and, and becoming much more of a transactional organization. And it's it, it's it's a fun time to lead the organization um, through that change. And, you know, interestingly enough, last week, I had my annual review with the board. And, and one of the things they asked me is, you know, what, what, what do you see? You know, what, what are your goals before you retire? And I said, I'd really like to get the, this is an organization of people and I'd really like to get the organization in a position to where you know' we've, we've got a, a pretty pretty bulletproof blueprint of how we get to our 2030 goals and I know we'll talk about a little bit more in detail about those <clears throat> here in a little bit. And but that takes having the right people, that takes having the right structure as an organization. And I shared with them, I think, you know, over the next three years that we can get there. And, um, yeah, that's my journey. A lot of people ask me about it. I, I, It wasn't a plan that I had. I feel very blessed to have come into an organization that I really, frankly, didn't know what they did when I first started. Um, but it gave me the opportunity to learn a lot of the aspects of the business. And um, I think it's really served me well in this role to be able to relate with a lot of the issues that go on um, whether it's in the financial side of the organization or the technical side or the operation side um, and position me well to really set the organization up for success in the future so it's been a blessing for me I, i i for sure plan on being around as long as the board will keep me for the next three four years I'd like to celebrate. I'd like to be. I'd like to leave with as the longest tenured employee at the organization. It's a personal goal of mine. Nobody's made it to forty years, and uh, I, I'm very proud of the career I've had. But I'm very proud of more than my career. The career that a lot of people have had at Platte River and the quality of service that we've provided these owner communities. I think has led to the economic success of the communities, the stability of the communities, the vitality of the communities. And, you know, we really are a, a, a member of the communities. We seek a lot of public input and, and, and factor that into our decision making. And if you go back to last year's, you know, Storm Uri, where, you know, it made national news, what went, went on in Texas, and not just in Texas, around around, you know, the United States, that was a significant situation for not just public power, but IOUs. And we were able to call on our citizens and, and you know, while well, we were able to meet their loads, have them help and participate and curtail their loads because the supply was tight. We didn't have the ability to purchase gas at that point in time. And they responded with about a 2% load reduction over peak two days in a row. And, you know, we celebrated that as a, you know, as a utility and as owners of the utility, of the citizens, we, we, we thank them through social media. And I think those are just some of the, Differences in public power is it's not just about, you know, the economics, but really being part of the community. And I think that's probably what I'm most proud of leading this organization is that the incredible value that we provide to our owner communities.
0: Turn to some recent news, which we actually covered in, in APPA's newsletter. Um, Platte River um, recently named Raj Singham Seti to lead the utilities new transition and integration division. So could you provide additional details on his background and on the new division he will lead?
1: Yeah, let, let, let me take a step back, you know, sure. Paul and say that about 2 years ago we had detailed discussions as a senior leadership team um, we when the board passed this resource diversification policy which again I know we'll get into it here in a little bit, you know, we really we immediately took action, we started adding some more renewables to our portfolio but this This connection that needs this major transformation from our point of view that needs to take place is, you know, the typical traditional utility, you know, dispatchable resources on the supply side. Cities can use as much as they want. We sell a balance in the surplus market. You know, it became apparent to us that we're really going to have to interact all the way with the unused customer. And that was a different skill set than we had on our staff and so as we looked at it we made a decision about a year ago that we really needed to reorganize and we needed to combine OT and IT skills we needed to bring in somebody that would lead you know distributed energy resource initiatives within the communities from a Plot River perspective and that we needed a, a senior leader to preside over all of that and so we did a national search and we're fortunate enough to find Raj. We had a lot of good candidates, but Raj stood out from the standpoint that really he'd worked in all aspects of the business. He'd been in traditional public power utilities. He he had worked for private banking, the private banking side. He had worked on the distribution side. He had a lot of experience and success with digital, digitalization of Utilities and those were the skill sets that we were looking for is really somebody to bring that all together. And so Raj leads a a division now that has IT and OT combined under a director of technology, um, a, a director of grid innovation and resource integration. I know that's a mouthful, but really that director is focusing on directly working with the communities to make sure that we can integrate. And, and the distributed side of um, the resources to make sure that when we're in an organized market well, that we can monetize that and, and, and help you know keep costs low as well as the whole modeling team. So all of that, we think about it as Platte River as Raj is responsible for all aspects of the decarbonization of Platte River's resources. Once those become commercial resources they get transitioned over into Malik Vincent's division as kind of a traditional COO. And then they're operated and they're monetized and dispatched in the market. So, you know, Raj has, without getting into a lot of details, a lot of breadth and depth of experience. Um, a, a lot of, um, I mean, he has numerous degrees, um, but really, his, his his value is that he can look at problems from the consumer perspective and then put together a strategy and a plan at the wholesale level to help integrate those solutions and explain them in a very succinct manner because there's always kind of a there's always kind of a, a push and pull in in the owner municipalities maintaining a certain amount of their independence. you know the city of Fort Collins has certain initiatives. the city of Loveland has certain initiatives. But getting to really think and look through the lens of four owners of Platte River and making sure whether it's a change to the rate structure, whether it's a change to a net metering policy, whether it's a change to a retail rate that they charge, whether it's, you know, a change to a net metering rate that they charge. You know, how does that impact Platte River, this entity that they own and and what's the best way to go about um, doing that? so that we can continue to take advantage of the economies of scale, which is why Platte River was formed in the first place. And so it's a big challenge. He's just getting started. He's been on board for a couple of months and hit the ground running. And we really look forward to maybe having a conversation like this in a year or two with you again to share some of the successes that we've had. Because we're not unique at Platte River. You know, Utilities around the country are trying to decarbonize, depending on where you are. And, and, you know, what the, um, I guess, for lack of a better word, you know, the, the guidance is from, you know, the governors of the states or whether it's federal regulations, you know, we're all trying to decarbonize and, and maintain reliability and affordability for our, our consumers. And, you know, so we can learn from each other, but we also all start with unique natural resources in our area. And I, I talked to my board a lot about this and that, we're very blessed in the state of Colorado. We we may not have the best solar, you know, in the country, may not have the best wind in the country, but it's pretty good. And, you know, we have access to natural gas. And, you know, a lot of our resources were coal-based because we were very close to the Powder River Basin, which gave us a competitive advantage. So we ought to be based on the size of the organization, the financial wherewithal of the organization and the natural resources that exist in our area, we ought to be able to figure this out. If not us, then who? We ought to be able to be a leader in this initiative. And so we're taking it, you know, that challenge very seriously, but we are also understand the foundational pillars of the organization of, you know, nobody wants to sacrifice reliability. Everybody wants to have affordable electricity. But we want to honor commitments to be environmentally responsible. So, you know, through that lens, we are making this transition as a utility. And like I said, it's, it, it's, it's exciting. It's not easy. Um, and we're learning a lot along the way. And Raj is going to be a big, 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 big part of that.
0: So um, you touched upon organized markets. Um, and as you know, um, earlier this year, Platte River announced plans to join the uh, Western Energy and Balance Surface Market operated by the Southwest Power Pool. Um, so I wanted to know if you could talk about the steps that, that led up to that decision and how that river and its owner communities are going to benefit from participating in this market.
1: It's a great question, Paul, and we could probably do a whole podcast just on this one subject, but I'll try to be brief. For years, um, at least 15 years, um, the utilities that I would call the kind of I-25 quarter utilities So. You know, Colorado Springs Utilities, Platte River on the other end of the state, Excel Energy, which is the largest uh, provider in the state and and tri-state generation and transmission, along with Black Hills, who has some load. Um, we've we've tried to get together and create a market because we've got such a you know a unique situation because of where we're geographically ro- located, our tra- transmission interconnections, the old Mountain West. You know, we worked on for years. Ultimately, um, it failed. We we, we never were able to reach an agreement. We did, however, after that, enter into what's called a joint dispatch agreement with Excel in Black Hills and Colorado Springs. Kind of think of it, well, as like a mini energy imbalance market where um, we all, you know, put our costs into, you know, the equation and Excel manages it on our behalf. And we're able to take advantage of, we serve our own load first, but all the you know, supplemental resources that we have get dispatched back through a prescribed price on an economic basis. And that's something that's been very successful for all, all four utilities that have been a part of that. And so we thought to ourselves, hey, if this could be successful, what's the next logical step? Because all of those utilities that I've mentioned have initiatives to meet the state Colorado state mandate of 80% carbon reduction from 2005 levels by 2030. And so it's clear to us that moving into a market and being able to transact on a larger geographic footprint will be a benefit to all of us. But as with any market, the devil's in the details of who pays for what, how you recover capital costs, who pays for those. And so we did a lot of analysis several years ago and initially thought that we were gonna move towards the California ISO. Um, As we watched that market uh, evolve and other regional utilities participate that we have mutual interest in other facilities and learn from their experiences, we took a pause and took a step back and did some more analysis and ultimately decided about six months ago that it was in our best interest from a financial perspective, from a, um, quite frankly, voting rules and regulation, the way that the markets run perspective, that it would be more beneficial for us to enter the energy imbalance market with SPP. Um, I should say that we see it as the next step, not as the final answer. Um, we want to remain adaptable as we move forward. Um, so we will, as we gain experience with the imbalance market, we may choose to participate in the full-blown RTO model market, which is an option that SPP provides. Um, we are also, and it's public, um, participating in, in what's called the WMEG, which is a, a lot of large utilities in the Western United States that are getting together and looking at, hey, why can't we form a market between um, the Colorado-Kansas border north and south all the way to the California border because we all have a lot of resources that would complement each other. But I think that's a longer proposition. And based upon the timing of our resource diversification policy, we, we simply can't wait that long. And so we see this as the next logical step is to move into the Southwest power pool. And like I said, we'll, we'll we have assumptions about how resources are going to dispatch in that market and we'll backtest those and and we'll manage those and make adjustments. And we may, as we continue to evaluate, move into a full-blown RTO with SPP, or we may we may take a pause and stay in the imbalance market. But we know that by about 2028, that we need to be in an RTO to ultimately reach the goals that the board has laid out for us from a policy perspective.
0: You, you've touched upon the resource diversification policy a couple of times so far in our conversation. Um, And and so just for our listeners background, uh, in 2018, Platte River's board uh, adopted that policy, which calls for Platte River to pursue 100 percent non-carbon energy mix by 2030. Um, So could you talk about the strategies that Platte River has pursued so far to achieve um, the, the resource diversification policy since its adoption?
1: Yeah, it, it, um, you know, when it was passed, we we obviously prior to its passing, I mean, the board was trying to, you know, there's turnover on the board. Mayor, mayors are term limited and not not so much from a utility director perspective provides a little bit of stability on the board. But, you know, the, the genesis for the diversification policy was really to to lay this this goal out that by 2030 to be carbon free, which. You touched on and, you know, while maintaining the foundational pillars of the organization, reliability, you know, financial sustainability and environmental responsibility, it really to lay the groundwork for future boards as they came in to understand, you know, why this transition started to occur when it did. But, you know, we looked at it in, in through modeling, resource planning and modeling, which is something that I will steal a line from my previous boss, is never done by the time you get a model Done you're 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 modifying it, revamping it and updating it. Um, we knew that we could add quite a few renewable resources on our system and absorb those. And at the time in in, in the 2018, 2019, 2020 time frame, um, really with very little rate impact to the organization, the 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 timing and the pricing of solar at that point in time and and the pricing of wind at that point in time was advantageous compared to our current dispatch cost as an organization. And so we've added 225 megawatts of wind since then. Um, We've added 52 megawatts of solar since then we've added a two megawatt battery since then. And we are, um, we will have another 150 megawatts of solar commercial by um, 2024. That's under contract, but, As coming out of the pandemic, a lot of utilities are facing this issue. There's the supply chain has caused, you know, a time lag in when we can get the materials and and, and get that solar facility constructed. Um, But we're proud of the fact that, you know, a utility that, you know, its owner communities need are roughly 3 million megawatt hours a year. We've added over a million megawatts of non-carbon energy onto our system, while at the same time investing in the existing dispatchable resources that we have specifically coal to make them much more dynamic and and load following to complement the renewables and just one example the the ride energy station which you know for its first 30 years of its life was' the base load facility that other than scheduled maintenance outages would traditionally run at a 90 to 95 percent capacity factor now is running at about a 65 to 70% capacity factor and can ramp from full load all the way down to 80 megawatts as wind and solar are coming on the system. So, you know, in the old days, that unit would not move more than about 40 or 50 megawatts in a day. And that was just because load dropped off at night. Um, So, again, we've invested in our existing resources to make sure that they're more flexible. And we've added, you know, a significant amount of, renewable resources. And we feel very confident that we can get to about 85% of that carbon reduction goal. And as I referred to when we were describing Ross Singham Seti's role in the organization, that, that 15% or so that needs to happen on the other side of the meter with our distribution utilities is, is the challenging part. And, you know, we believe needs to be well thought out um, these investments that all oh, utilities, not just unique to us, make, you know, over a 30-year period of time, you know, unfortunately, if you get those wrong, you ask great to pay for them for the next 30 years. And so, you know, we are moving forward with our eyes wide open. We're moving forward proactively, but we're also doing it and testing the assumptions that led us to the decisions and then adapting as we continue to move forward. And so we've got some big challenges ahead of us. We've got a pretty good plan to get to, um, like I said, about eighty-five percent of the way there. But that last fifteen, again, not unique to us, is going to be a challenge for all utilities. You you can look around the country at utilities that have done the same studies that we have done at Platte River, and they all, within about five percent, come to the same conclusion that you know we can add. You can add wind. You can add solar. You can add some storage. You can complement it with gas if you shut down your coal units, but to really get distributed energy resources that are dispatchable in an organized market, you know, takes rethinking the way that the industry has run for years and the way that we communicate with each other. We really have to um, make sure that the technology and the infrastructure is in place so that we can have real-time communication. With the end use customers, whether they're commercial or residential, so a lot of work ahead of us. I I always tell the board there's more work ahead of us, but then behind us. But we've already made a lot of progress, and I'm proud of the progress that we've made. Um, But we're really going to have to dig in over the next three or four years to set the stage to reach those targets by 2030.
0: Great. So I did have a follow-up question for you. on One aspect of 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 your response to this last question. Just because it's such a hot topic these days, obviously for the utility sector among other industries. Um, So, so you referenced um, supply chain issues um, as it relates to um, solar. Um, I guess kind of a two parter is: uh, are the supply chain issues limited for you guys just in terms of solar, and also probably a tougher question you may not be able to answer off the top of your head. But any visibility in terms of whether it's for solar, any other type of equipment, whether. the supply chain issues may start to resolve themselves.
1: Boy, you know, that is a difficult question. I, I, to your first question, when we added, we added a very large increment of wind in the form of the roundhouse project, which is a 225 megawatt site, just north of, about 20 miles north of our coal facility. We also have some solar up there and gas. And when we did that, um, we took some existing wind that we had and and put it under contract to another utility. So we could fit the lower cost wind on our system. We will reclaim that wind back in 2030, that contract expires. And so we haven't really looked at the wind market in the last year. We've been focused more on bringing, you know, we knew that we needed to get our solar to about 300 megawatts. Um, So, we have only experienced the supply supply chain issue from the solar perspective because those RFPs are the only ones that we've gone out with since this pandemic started and we've started to see the supply chain issue. To your second question, as a utility in general, and this is, you know, whoever will listen to this going forward, I'm sure would agree with me that whether you're talking about a transformer, whether you're talking about conductor, conductor, you know, a lot of the infrastructure that we need to run, you know, the core portions of our business, we've seen lead times on equipment double and triple and pricing has gone up significantly. And so I don't know when it's going to abate or when it's going to start to level back off. But, you know, my feeling on this is it's going to take two or three years, I think for this really to kind of resolve itself. And that's just my opinion. That's not based off any anecdotal data that we've seen. Great. Well, thanks. which doesn't, isn't helpful, right? I mean, it's, it's not helpful. It, it, it's only made what we're trying to do more difficult.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the conundrum obviously is nobody has a crystal ball. So, uh, um, it'd be great if we knew had some greater clarity on that, but, um, but those, your comments are are definitely, I think helpful, um, in terms of giving listeners some, some, some background on, on the, on the issue. Um, so, so my last question for you is kind of a bigger picture one. Um, more specifically, if you could talk about, um, your short and long-term goals as general manager and CEO of Platte River.
1: You know, I, I will, let me start with, uh, let me do it in reverse. Um, kind of alluded to my long-term goals. My long-term goal is to have the right people and the right structure in place so that the organization is sustainable moving forward. And I think we're very close to that now. We've, we've, we've added a lot of staff over the last couple of years. Um, we've alluded, I've alluded to earlier, we had a discussion about an entire new division that's that's being led by Raj. Um, you know, I, I think it's important and it's easily, I mean, this, you know, this business that we're all in and, and love in and, and the form of public power is really all about people. And, and you know, we're not immune uh, to attracting and retaining talent The, the you know, the, I think the pandemic is... I think there's a lot of lessons that have been learned from the pandemic. I think some folks want to, you know, IT folks and data analysts, data scientists, folks kind of tend to want to work from home, and you know, so we've had to rethink, you know, some of our policies as an organization. Pay obviously has has gone up significantly. Inflation we're we're experiencing from a lot of perspectives as an industry, um, but really having you know the right policies, right? The 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 right um, compensation, total compensation packages as an organization, and benefits I think is important to us. Um, so that when my time comes to a close, when I walk out the door, this is an exact quote from you know what I shared with the board in the executive session. I, I I want to get this organization to a point that. You just have to finish. You have the equipment, you have the people, you have the strategy, you have everything you need to finish and meet these goals. And, you know, that's, I think, as good as any CEO can do, is to walk out and know that they have made sure and, and, and positioned an organization to give it the best chance for success. In the short run, interestingly enough, you um, Immediately when I took over. And you see a little bit of this happening around the country. I alluded earlier to, you know, the cities want to have a certain amount of independence. And one of the first I'll say challenges I inherited um, when I was named CEO is that we were in the process of building customized portfolios for the owner communities, because some communities had more aggressive carbon goals than other communities. And we had a retreat or I did with the board. And and the first thing I said is, "There's, you know, I, we need to come together. This organization was founded on, you know, compromise and taking advantage of economies of scale. And I think if everybody can come to the table and be transparent, I think your goals aren't that different. And I have smart people. I can put together customized portfolios for you, but you're not going to like the price of them. I and mean, you're not going to want to, pass those rate increases onto your specific customers, the most economical and reliable way to get there is to do it together. And so my short-term goals were to kind of rein the cities back in and say, let's focus on, you know, where as an organization, you want Platte River to go after all, we're not some separate entity. We are an entity that you created as four communities to be your wholesale power provider let us do some modeling. Let us look at what it would cost to decarbonize the portfolio. And, and the more that they talked, the more they came to the realization that their goals weren't that different. And so we disbanded with the customized portfolios and they came back around the table and really coalesced around, you know, what ultimately became the resource diversification policy. And so then my challenge was as a CEO was to explain to the organization why we were going to shut down coal facilities, why we're going to transition our portfolio and how these challenges that we face aren't that different from the challenges that were faced early on at Platte River by the initial boards and staffs that were resource that didn't have adequate resources to meet the growing needs of the cities and had to figure out the most economical and reliable way to do that. And, this is just a different way of going going about changing the resource portfolio and changing the way that we deliver electricity to our owner communities it's not you know it's not fun or easy to stand up in front of a staff of 100 folks that are proud of running one of a world class coal facility in the right energy station that you know has exceeded any expectations that the board ever had for that facility when they spent million to build it, you know, back in 1984, when it went commercial, and explained to them why we were going to shut it down and replace it with renewable resources. But we did that through a series of conversations and and getting those employees to understand that, you know, we were going to repurpose their jobs and that they were just going to be doing different jobs at Platte River, but they were still going to be providing the same service. It was just with different resources. And so it was a lot of communication. It was a lot lot of education. And I'm proud to say, as I sit here today and have this conversation with you, that we've got 100% support from our staff at Ply River to make this transition, which to me gives us the best chance to be successful and to do it in the right way and, and to do it from a position of strength and leadership and to let them know that we value them as employees and that we're going to stand with them and we're going to retrain them to do different jobs within the organization. And so that takes me back full circle to we have the right staff, we have the right structure so that Platte River can meet its long term goals and be a sustainable organization that meets the foundational pillars, you know, that have served us so well for the last 49 years. And and that's something that that's probably the thing that I'm most proud of with my leadership team, that we've been able to make that transition over the last couple of years um, with our employees through a lot of communication and a lot of education and a lot of listening, frankly, I think, I think one of the things I've learned as a leader in my six years as CEO, that um, I've, I've had to learn to be a better listener and, 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 and be okay saying, I don't have all the answers. Those are good questions. Let's, let's talk about them and let's, let's really think through, you know, where we're going as an organization. And it's been a great experience for me to, to see, the resiliency of the employees and, and the the continued commitment of the employees um, to stay with us and not want to leave and go somewhere else where maybe another area of the country where maybe they're not shutting down coal facilities. Um, they want to, they want to finish um, this challenge. They want to meet the commitments of the 2030 goal and they want to be part of it. And so that, that makes me proud that we have the right people and, and we, we have the right strategy and, and we, I think we, frankly, I, I give the board a lot of credit, too. I think the board has, it has not been easy for the board of directors to go back in their own communities and explain why we're doing what we're doing. Um, and we spent a lot of time collaboratively speaking at, to the city councils of the four communities, the utility directors, myself, having listening sessions with the communities, getting them to understand why we're making this transition, what it's going to mean to them and how they can help us. So, you know, very proud of that. I've got a lot more, more work ahead of me. I've never been a, you know, check the box person. And, you know, I want to retire by the time I'm 62 or 55 or whatever. I, I just want to get the organization to a certain point, like I described earlier, that um, it's in the best chance to to finish what it started. And I think, you know, I think and estimate that that, you know, take, takes another two, three years. And it'll be somebody else's turn to to take this thing over the finish line. And I'll sit back and, no one will be cheering louder for Platt River than I will.
0: Great, Jason. Well, thanks for this uh, very illuminating conversation. And before you retire, we'd love to have you back on the podcast. Um, given the the range of subjects we, we touched upon, which I think are all ripe for revisiting, um, I think it, it would be great to have you back. So consider yourself having an open invitation on that end.
1: Well, it'd be my pleasure. I'd be happy to anytime I can.
0: Great. Thanks for listening to this episode of Public Power Now. Be sure to check out past episodes and learn more at publicpower.org podcast. Public Power Now comes to you from the American Public Power Association and is produced by APPA Digital Content Director David Blalock. I'm Paul Shimpoli, and we'll be back next week with more from the world of public power.